0: Hey, and welcome to The Living Stone, a digital ministry from Greystone Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Here's this week's scripture reading and sermon. Well, there are many stories about Jesus in his early days, but today's scripture witnesses his calling of the disciples. It comes from the book of Mark, chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee. And immediately they left their nets, and they followed him. As he went a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat, mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and they followed Jesus. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be God.
1: In the weeks that make up the season of Epiphany, uh, we are working our way through Mark's gospel, as you heard Annabeth mention in the welcome just a few moments ago. We're working our way through Mark's gospel in this season to see how the good news that Jesus brought to the world really kind of got off the ground. Last year, at the same time, we did a similar kind of study, except we worked our way through Matthew's gospel. But this year, we're in Mark. And last week, we read the first 11 verses and saw how quickly Mark ushers us into the baptism story, placing the story of Jesus... Within the broader prophetic tradition of Isaiah, and then very, very quickly moving us out to the marginal banks of the Jordan where Jesus's strange cousin, John the Baptizer, was doing the work that earned him that name. For now, we're going to skip over the two verses that summarize the whole wilderness story. In Mark's gospel, because that's not where Mark seems to want to draw our attention. While other gospel writers uh, take up pages with that story of Jesus's temptation in the wilderness, Mark gives us two short verses to describe the whole experience. And the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness for 40 days, tempted by Satan. He was with the wild beasts and the angels waited on him. You got it? Any questions? (laughs) Good. Moving on. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, Mark says, proclaiming the good news of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As we familiarize ourselves with Mark's writing style, we begin to pick up on the fact that in Mark's story of the good news, there are two layers of story going on. There's one thread that appears to be a, a bigger cosmic story. And then there is another thread that seems to be more of a human story, a, a real lived earthly story story. It's almost as if the author is kind of weaving together threads of a beautiful tapestry of God's activities and the activities of those who dwell on earth. John was baptizing, Jesus came, that's the beginning of the earthly story. Then the heavens open up, the Spirit descends, a voice proclaims a blessing, the Spirit drives Jesus away, Satan tests, and angels attend. That's the cosmic story, all summarized by just a few short verses. And then we're back to that earthly human story again. John is arrested, Jesus moves through Galilee, Sometimes this and distinction between the cosmic story and the earthly stories begin to feel a little bit like the classic Christmas movie, It's a Wonderful Life. Has anybody ever seen that one? No? <laughs> well, in some ways, the Gospel of Mark is narrated like that movie because if you remember, those of you who've seen it, those of you who've not, you'll have to go home and do your homework today. But there's a part of the story that's like where the dialogue happens, the plot is kind of moved forward. It takes place in the stars, right, where angels and celestial beings have conversations with one another, all knowing about everything that's unfolding on Earth. Meanwhile, the human beings like George Bailey and Mr. Potter and the other mortal characters are left to figure it out on their own time and in their own unique ways. Mark is kind of like that. There may come a time in Mark's gospel where the cosmic story gets to take up more narrative space, but for now it seems like Mark is only going to give us those quick, fast summaries uh, as those celestial events seem to be unfolding. It seems like Mark's priority. Where Mark wants to draw our attention is in what's happening in the earthly story. What Jesus is doing on earth. So back on earth, where Jesus is traveling around the Sea of Galilee, he sees two sets of brothers who are fishermen by trade. First, Simon and Andrew, and then James and John. It is no coincidence that the fishermen happen to be brothers, as it was very common in the ancient world for families to share a common trade. With gender roles firmly cemented into social and economic fabrics, fathers would teach sons how to carry on the family business. Mothers would school daughters in the ways of the household. Everything had a place. Everything had a purpose. Every person needed to do their part so that the whole thing wouldn't come crashing down. But here comes Jesus. Jesus. With his summons to undermine all of that, to leave one's place in the family and society and the economy and follow him instead. Sometimes Jesus' call is rather abbreviated, summarized in two simple words follow me. And sometimes it includes a little bit more detail, like it does with the first pair of brothers in Mark's gospel follow me. And I will make you fish for people. Now, for those of us who've grown up in church, we've heard this funny phrase, fish for people, enough times that we kind of gloss right over it. Maybe we subconsciously categorize it as another cute little thing that Jesus says when he's luring fishermen into gospel ministry. But we can't let ourselves off the hook that easily. Because inquiring minds want to know, what in the world does Jesus mean when he said, I will make you fish for people? It's strange, right? When you think about it. And where did that term even come from? I mean, Jesus doesn't come up with a cute little term that is vocationally appropriate for the other disciples, does he? Why this one? Why just with the fishermen? Some scholars like Ched Meyer, say that Jesus didn't create this phrase and he didn't pull it out of thin air. But much like Mark does earlier in the gospel by placing Jesus within the Isaiah prophetic tradition here, Jesus is reaching back into his Jewish roots and connecting the call of his disciples with the words of the prophets. Hear this section from Jeremiah 16 Words that a faithful Jewish man living in Jesus' day and time would have recognized as words straight from Scripture. Hear them, and let's see what we think. Therefore, the days are surely coming, says the Lord, when it shall no longer be said, as the Lord lives, who brought the people of Israel up out of the land of Egypt? But as the Lord lives, who brought the people of Egypt up out of the land of the north and out of all the lands where he had driven them, for I will bring them back to their own land that I gave to their ancestors. I am now sending for many fishermen, says the Lord, and they shall catch them, meaning the people. I am now sending for many fishermen, says the Lord, and they shall catch them. And afterward, I will send many hunters, and they shall hunt them from every mountain and every hill and out of the clefts of the rock, for my eyes are on their ways. They are not hidden from my presence, nor is their iniquity and their sin, because they have polluted my land with the carcasses of their detestable idols. And I have filled my inheritance. With their abominations. Here, the prophet Jeremiah evokes Exodus imagery to describe a new movement of God's liberation. God sees the people struggling and sinning and suffering under the yoke of their enemies, the Babylonians in this case, in Jeremiah. And in that situation, the prophet says, Look, God is going to liberate you, but in that liberation, you will be held accountable for the ways that you have mistreated the outcasts, exploited the earth, and failed to care for the poor. Your iniquities are not hidden from me, says the Lord. As Jesus invokes Jeremiah, he becomes the bridge in Mark's gospel, the bridge between heaven and earth. And his words begin to join the two narrative threads together. In this peculiar summons, the divine and the human stories for Mark seem to begin to converge as the cosmic story becomes the human story with that seemingly simple but oh so loaded invitation. Follow me and I will make you fish for people, Jesus says. If we are right about this prophetic connection between Jesus' words and the words of the prophets of old, then the brothers have a very serious decision to make because Jesus isn't simply inviting them to leave their jobs behind so that they can come and work for him. Jesus is not asking them to change career paths. No, Jesus is asking them to leave everything, everything, in order to participate in the bigger story of God's kingdom, which is drawing near and breaking in and interrupting and undermining and subverting all existing kingdoms in real time. The brothers have a serious decision to make. If they say no, if they decline that invitation from Jesus on the shore, They can carry on. They can keep their families intact. They can earn an honest living, raise families, maintain their place in the world. They could probably even continue to practice their religion just as they had before. But if they say yes, if they accept Jesus's invitation, then all bets are off, and their place in the human story becomes very, very uncertain we might say that their whole place in that human story would be left behind, perhaps left in the boats, maybe left in the water with the fish. Kind of makes me think about the stuff we talked about last week, leaving behind in the waters of baptism. You see, the theme Mark is working on here. I suppose given all this, though, it's, it's a wonder that those first four disciples, that Simon and Andrew and James and John and anyone in the Gospels, for that matter, ever said yes to begin with, especially if they were familiar with their own scriptures, especially if they knew what the prophets said about God and those divinely appointed fishermen. It's a wonder anybody said yes. The whole thing begins to feel a little more than wonderful. It begins to seem miraculous when we start to think about it. Perhaps that's why Reverend Barbara Brown Taylor calls this story not a call story, but a miracle story. Because when Jesus calls, invoking the words of the prophet Jeremiah, the four immediately follow. Immediately, Mark says, Given everything that was at stake, they didn't hesitate or question. They did not consider all the available options, making lists of pros and cons. They didn't even go home and pack a bag or say goodbye. They simply left it all behind in order to get to work, to gospel work. Taylor goes on to say that this miracle story is actually not a story about us at all. But it's a story about God. It's a story about God's ability not only to call us, but to create us as a people who are able to follow. That's the miracle. It's a miracle story about a God who is able not only to call us, but to create us as a people who are able to follow, able to follow not because we can do it on our own, but able to follow because we cannot take our eyes off of the one who calls us, because he interests us more than anything else in our lives, because he seems to know what it is that we hunger for perhaps better than we know ourselves, and because, she writes, because he seems to be the food, the food that satisfies I wonder if any of us in this room have ever experienced a miracle like that. I wonder if any of us in this room have ever experienced a miracle of not only calling, but also being created to have the courage to say yes and to follow. I wonder if anybody here has ever experienced the presence of God so real, so compelling, that we somehow found the courage within ourselves to leave everything else behind, looking only to Jesus as our sole focus, our primary interest, the very food which fuels our steps every day. Has anybody here ever heard the call from Jesus follow me? And has anybody here ever felt the courage to say yes? Even though many of us have said yes or tried to say yes at some point or another, we are human after all. And like the disciples, we struggle to stay the course, to keep on going because we soon learn that being fishers for people in the same way that the prophets described, is hard and demanding and courageous work. As the journey of life unfolds and as time and distance move us ever away from those thin, holy places where God felt near and uncertainty felt holy, we sometimes begin to let our gaze shift just a little from the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as it does, we slowly take small steps back towards the boats that served us well when we were simply fishing for fish. (laughs) We love our boats, and it's easy to step back into them. Boats called status quo. Boats called tradition. Boats called religious institution. Boats called nostalgia. Boats called comfort, self-preservation. Boats called certainty. Boats of many names, but friends, boats with one common purpose, which is to keep our feet secure in this kingdom, so secure that we forget about or have no capacity for or maybe lose our passion and our energy For God's kingdom. How many times have we stepped back into our boats, trading the good news for some version of the good life, and in so doing, forgotten what it actually means to follow Jesus? Follow me, Jesus says, and I will make you fish for people. Sometimes I'd rather just fish for fish. (laughs) Friends, today I I believe that we are in need of another miracle. Maybe two, if we can ask for what we really need. Maybe we need two miracles. One that enables us to hear the fullness of the call again. Follow me and I will make you fish for people, Jesus says. And maybe we need a second miracle, one that gives us the courage to respond with a resounding yes, knowing full well that we have everything to lose, but also knowing full well that we have everything to gain. Lord, hear our prayer. Hear it, oh God. Change our hearts make our feet follow after you. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.